turn to Acts 17, verses 30 through 31. This morning, I want to continue in the book of Acts. We're going to step back from 20, chapter 20, where we ha- were when we left off uh, last week. And, and we're going to step back into ver- chapter 17 and look at these two verses together. Really detailed this morning. And I ask that you give your full heart's attention to God and His Word. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Through the mouth of the Apostle Paul, as he stood before the most intelligent men of his day, having told them at the beginning of this sermon, the sermon at Mars Hill, I've walked through your city, and I've seen your pantheon of gods, and I found one God with an inscription to the unknown God. And so my desire, Paul said, is to tell you who that unknown God is. And he comes to the end of that sermon, and this is what he says. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. About 2,000 years ago, the entire world shifted from the past to the present age. And nothing would ever be the same again. In the past age, God had placed the light of his work among the people of the earth inside the nation of Israel. Paul says it like this in Romans 9, beginning in verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. The worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The reality that the Jewish people had an advantage in the past age is clear. It is testified to us clearly in the Old Testament that they had an advantage in that that day. God had chosen a people for himself to be a possession from among all the nations of the earth. He chose this one nation to have the blessings, the light of his covenant. And he was dealing graciously with them by giving them light upon light upon light. But that was the past age. And we are not living in that age. That was, was, as Paul refers to it here in Acts 17.30, that was the times of ignorance. I think we can best understand what Paul means in this idea of ignorance by seeing that the light of God was shining brightly within Israel, but... The rest of the world 
lived in great darkness. Ephesians 3, 1 through 12 says this. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of the Gentiles, the rest of the world, not the Jews, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace and was given to me for you, how the, listen to this word, mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now we're getting to the understanding of the times of ignorance. Why were they times of ignorance? They were times of ignorance not because people of intelligence didn't live in that day. Might I say, it might insult the modern man here and woman, but let me just tell you, I believe many of them to be much brighter than us. Their minds were well-trained. They were far surpassing us in intelligence. Their ignorance was not because they lacked intelligence. It was because the mystery of Christ had not been revealed to them. Now, Paul, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentile, listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why were they in ignorance? Because no one was preaching to them the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. They had not received the mystery, as he says it. They hadn't known it. They were in darkness. And to bring, notice, I said darkness, notice what Paul says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul tells those gathered in Athens at Mars Hill that there was a time of ignorance. And what I'm saying to you is that that time was because the mystery of Christ had not been made known to those people. They lived in darkness and they were going their own way as nations. But God had placed a great light inside the nation of Israel and the great darkness or veil over the people of this world. But we need to understand that the ignorance that they were living in was never an excuse. It was never an excuse to live in darkness. They lived in darkness, but the darkness was not an excuse for them to continue to live in darkness. They had the knowledge of God available through the creation and through their own conscience. Romans 1 and Romans 2 tell us clearly that every human who's ever walked the face of this planet, without the light the clear light given to Israel, yet they still stand condemned because they have rejected you, 
Maybe you've never heard what I'm preaching to you. But I want to tell you, you stand condemned today if you're outside of Christ because there is enough revelation of God to make you grope for Him and call for Him in the creation. And yet you've chosen to make the creation your God. There is enough in your intelligence and in your conscience for you to know there is a law. And you rebel against God in treason. What should have led them to the Lord led them to pride in their ignorance. They refused to believe the revelation of God. And instead made their own gods and rebelled against their creator. I want to make it clear that they are now held accountable by God for rejecting the knowledge that God had given them. And they righteously suffer today and are punished because of their rejection of God. They did not have the advantage of Israel, but they did have the knowledge of God and they ignorantly rejected what God had given them. I want to say that again. They did not have the advantages of Israel. You may not have had the advantage of growing up in a Christian home, shepherded by godly pastors who taught you the truth. But you've been given the knowledge of God. If you are an atheist with us this morning or listening to us this morning, you know in your very being that God exists. Your atheism is a front to cover your ignorance. It's a pair of clothes you wear to hide yourself from the king of kings. But he sees you. Everyone knows there is a God, even without advantages. All men of all time are without excuse before the holy and righteous God. So, the times of ignorance were time of great darkness, which God, the, the text before you says, God overlooked the times of ignorance. We need to understand this word. This is not saying that God just gave the people a pass because they lived in a time full of ignorance. This could never be because this would diminish the greatness of the glory of God. When Paul says that God chose to overlook the times of ignorance, I believe he means that he chose not to do anything about it at that time. He looked the other way, we might say, and allowed the Gentile nations to go their own way, according to Acts 14. He allowed you to go your own way. That's what Paul said to the people gathered then, to fill up a period of sin and to bring themselves into total rebellion against him and against his plan. God overlooked their ignorance in those times so that his plan could be brought full circle. Those who lived in this time will be judged because they rejected God the creator. But listen, they will not be judged for knowledge that they did not have. 
People go to hell because without Christ, they have denied God himself. So maybe for years you've sat outside the boundaries of the church so you could somehow claim, well, I didn't ever know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you, you are condemned today because God is holy. And you are condemned because you have rejected him. And God will hold you accountable for that. Unlike the people in those days, he not only holds you accountable for what they knew, but he will hold you accountable for what was known and you refuse to know it today. God overlooked the times of ignorance, allowing the nations of the world to continue in great darkness while he lovingly and graciously prepared the people of Israel so that at the right time they could bring forth the Savior, Jesus Christ. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, you feel it? There was a time before and there's a time now. But now, he commands all people to repent. The truth is that the days of ignorance are in the past. We live in this present glorious age in which the light has dawned and the message of Jesus Christ's gospel has gone forward to the world. Today is the great day of repentance from sin. God is now calling on all of us to turn from ourselves, from our sin, from our treason and rebellion against his crown and against our Lord. He's calling us to repent and come to him. Paul's telling the Athenians, and by extension, he's telling us that God is no longer overlooking ignorance. That day is gone. This day has come. The day of the light. We live in a day where if any of you sitting in here are still without Christ, it's because you have rejected the good news and are actively denying the reality of Christ as your Lord and King. You have no excuse before God. We live not only in the general day of revelation of the mystery of Jesus Christ, which began back in those days, but we live in a nation where the gospel is available everywhere. I said earlier, you might have sat outside of church so you could claim some type of ignorance of the gospel, but don't you know how foolish that is in the United States of America? For anybody to say they don't know the gospel. I've met people who say that, but you literally have to plug your ears. You can't push scan on your radio dial without hearing at least parts of the gospel. You can't turn on your TV Now, I'm not talking about all what you see on your TV. But listen, even in the midst of all of that, there's truth. The gospel, God is still letting the gospel go forward even in that. We have radio. We have TV. We have 300 at least, 300 gatherings of church in Calhoun County alone. And most of you could talk to anybody or somebody in your life if you really had a desire to know who Jesus Christ is. You could ask. There's somebody in your life, in your family, 
in your friend circle who knows who Christ is. You and I are not like the folks in Athens at Mars Hill. We have never, we have never lived in ignorance. So again, I'm calling on you to repent of your sin. And your natural inclination to go your own way and reject the way of God. God has sent his son to live the perfect life that we could not live. Jesus was born of the virgin, which means he was born without sin. And he not only was born sinless, he then actively lived in keeping with God's will secret and God's will revealed. That is to say, he not only wasn't polluted with sin, which you inherit from your fathers and you can do nothing about, he didn't sin. He actively obeyed God. Jesus did what no one from Adam until his day could do. He lived a perfect life before his father in complete obedience. At the exact time that God the Father had determined, Jesus gave up his life through the crucifixion. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, not for sin that he had committed. He who knew no sin became sin that his people might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin on himself and he paid the awful judgment price due for our sin before God the Father. When God looks at the person who has repented for their sin, listen to me Christian, when God looks at you, you're here and you're under the blood of Jesus, you have believed in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he sees the glorious righteousness of his son. That's good news. We no longer stand in the category of sinner. We stand in the category of sinner saved by the grace of God through the righteousness of the Son. We stand before God acquitted of all of our sin. He has declared it so by faith. And now we stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, hidden in Christ, so that all God the Father sees when he looks at us is what brings him joy and pleasure, so much so that Zephaniah, the Old Testament prophet, said God sings over us. And Jesus, when he told his parable about the shepherd who went and found one sheep and the woman who swept the house and found one coin, says that when a sinner comes home, the angels celebrate the greatness of God's good salvation in Christ. But then in the second parable, in Luke 15, you can check me out, it says not that the angels celebrate it, but that the angels witnessed the celebration before them of God Almighty when a sinner comes home. That's what we stand in front of God as church. 
redeemed by the blood of our Savior, welcomed into His righteousness, standing hidden in Him who before all ages chose us in Himself. And now, now we are free in sons and daughters. We are free indeed. That's the glorious good news. You and I do not live in times of ignorance. We live in times of full revelation. God has given us all that's necessary. The light has shone in the darkness because the darkness could not stop it from shining forth to every people group on this planet. The church is advancing to all places everywhere because the gates of hell have no power over our risen Savior. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now he's calling you and every person everywhere to repent of your sin and come to him that he might save you by his work before his father. Why is this so urgent? Why is this so urgent? Because the text says the day of judgment has been fixed. And on that day, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. God's plan is eternal. Listen to me. It's eternal and it will come to pass. He has, since before the world began, been working to bring about the plan of gaining the maximum praise and worship for his glory. God is a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. This plan includes the judgment of everyone who lives in rebellion and rejection to him. No person will escape the wrath of God outside of coming to salvation in Jesus Christ. Those in the past and those today will not escape without the salvation that's only available in Christ. This judgment is fixed, it's final, and it's fearful. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. This is why it's urgent for everyone here to know they have repented of their sin and believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. No one knows when this day will come. And we must be ready for this day. Every time somebody says, Jesus is coming back on this day, I just groan. Because this is a day it won't happen. Only God knows. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they know when the Son will come. But it could be at any moment. No one knows when this day comes, and we must be ready for this day. So I'm unashamed in my pleading with you. You may think I'm a fool for preaching good news like this on Easter. Like, everybody just wants to hear a good sermon. A happy Easter bunny story. A kid's play, a drama, a musical. But 
But the truth is, I'd rather you think I'm a fool than have your blood on my hands. God has given you this day to repent. Today. Don't wait for another moment. I mean, cry out to Jesus right now. While I'm preaching, don't wait till the end of this service. You may die. The eastern sky may split and the foot of the Son of Man may stand in Jerusalem as I preach, you must be ready for that day. Because the same Jesus who came to the earth to spread the good news of the kingdom of God is the same Jesus who will judge all men on that day. Do not fool yourself into thinking that he will accept you because you have some excuse for why you didn't come. If you're not in him, then the holy judge will banish you from his presence for all of eternity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. In the darkness they will grope and they will find no hope because God's wrath exists there. But none of his pleasures exist there. If you're not in him, you need him. He's calling you to come to him. So that you will never taste the darkness that he tasted on that day. When he hung between earth and heaven. And the wrath of God Almighty fell on the sun. And he could not see his father. The holy communion which had existed from before all time was broken in that moment. Because all that exists in the place you were headed if you were without Christ is the wrath of God. None of God's goodness and His benefits are available to you. The Son already experienced it and He said, If I be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, I will draw all men to myself. And I call you repent and believe today. Know Him as your Savior. The only hope anyone has is to find the perfect record of Christ's righteousness, that he has already paid for their sins in full. And they have been saved by the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now all of this up till now is preparation for what I want to say about this glorious day called Resurrection Day. Some of you might think I forgot But here's the thing. The resurrection is a silly kid's tale unless you know what it's about. And the moment in your mind and heart you know what it is. It's no myth, no tale. It's life. And life everlasting. This is what the text says. The text says he has appointed a man and notice, and of this he has given full assurance to all by raising him from the dead. As Pastor Aaron already said, the cross is the view of God's wrath against sin and sinners. And the resurrection is his announcement of life everlasting in the Son. 
It's the crown of all God's work. The sepulcher that rests on the head of our Savior as he sits at the right hand of the Father is one that wasn't bequeathed to him because he is God, though it was due him, but he earned it. Jesus Christ earned it. He didn't walk into some inherited kingdom. He came to the earth and walked a dusty road, faced jeering sinners, hold his hands out to the sick and needy, tasted our hurt and pain, died the sin we should have died, and his Father has lifted him above every name because it's due him. He earned it. Some of you are saying, I would have repented of myself and my sin and come to Christ in faith for salvation if I was only sure that it's true. <laughs> but Paul says, God has given full assurance to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is the only proof anyone needs to accept Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Jesus predicted his death to his men on many occasions recorded for us in the gospel accounts. Listen to what he said about himself. He said that he would be lifted up so that he could draw all men to himself. He said that he would tear down the temple in three days. He would build it back again, speaking about his body and the resurrection. He said that he would give no sign to these people except the sign of Jonah. That is, he would live in the grave for three days and then he would be raised from the dead. He told his men that he must suffer and die before being raised from the dead. And all this was in keeping with the Old Testament prophecies about him. The Old Testament scripture had plainly foretold that the Christ would suffer and die for sins and for sinners. But it also plainly told that he would rise from the dead. I'm just going to give you two passages. Two passages. There are a bunch of them. Let's drink coffee someday and read them if you doubt it. The resurrection was clearly told. The text we're reading today, part of it alludes to a text in the Old Testament. Psalm 26, 19. The prophet wrote this. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. In this passage, the promise of the resurrection is given to all of God's people. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Christ was raised from the dead, then we can expect to be raised from the dead. But if he was not raised from the dead, we have no hope. Let's go home and let's live and let live. Gone with any morality. Apostle Paul was a teetotaler. He was teetotally in or he was teetotally out. If this isn't the truth, then I'm going my way. I'm going to live my life. But here's the thing. He knew it was true. And here's the thing. You know it's true. You know it's true. You know that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You have no excuse. The world has recorded the history of it. Listen to what Job said. Now, I say in front of 200 plus witnesses. I said it in front of our staff. I've said it in private. I'm going to say it right now. If my tombstone does not have this verse, take a baseball bat to it and tell my kids to quit being cheap. I want a tombstone big enough 
to write every one of these words because when they walk among the dead, I want them to see the one who lives. This is what Job said. This man lived before the flood. And this is what he says in Job 19, 23 through 26. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Here it is. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know, he didn't say I think, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. In his physical body, he'll stand. Not some spiritual revelation. Real Christ with real body that died and was buried in the grave, raised on the third day, ascended back to heaven, now working in among his people through his spirit to bring the sons to glory, and then he will stand on the earth. Our Redeemer, folks, lives. He lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It's not some spiritual Greek baby floating around on some dumb cloud. I'm sorry, kids, for saying dumb, but it's dumb. It's a sanctified use of the word for anybody believing in some spiritual mumbo-jumbo out there without Jesus. Jesus Christ doesn't promise you spiritual life only. He promises you the spiritual life which will give life to your dead, rotten flesh, and you will stand in his presence forever. That's what our Bible tells us, church. Whom I shall see for myself and my eye, my eye, my physical eye will behold and not another. This is the witness of God's word about the resurrection. I've been just bathing myself in one particular artist. All of you know, you laugh. I even sent out a video of Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, um, who by God's grace may be saved. He, he is so close to the kingdom of God. So close. But you can't get there by your intelligence. It's only by the Spirit. I sent it to a couple of our pastors and I said, I think God's working on Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Peterson. Because I've just been listening to him for like a month. Over and over again. Listen to these words. This is, was the first song I listened to this morning. I listened to it over and over and over and over. His heart beats. His blood begins to flow. Walking up what was, waking up what was dead a moment ago. And his heart beats. Now everything is changed. Because the blood that brought us peace with God is racing through his veins and his heart beats, his heart beats. He breathes in, the living lungs expand, the heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again. He breathes out, he is word and flesh once more. The Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. So crown him the Lord of life. Crown Him the Lord of love. Crown Him Lord of all, church. 
He took one breath and put to death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know, I know his heart beats. He rises glorified in flesh, clothed in immortality, the firstborn from the dead. He rises and his work's already done. So he's resting as he rises to reclaim the bride he won. His heart beats. He took on breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know, I know. His heart beats. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He must reign until no enemy is left. The last enemy to be destroyed is the destro- is to be destroyed is death. His heart beats. He will never die again. I know that death no longer has dominion over him. So here it is. So my heart beats. With the rhythm of the saints, as I look for the seeds the king has sown to burst up from their graves. I know, I know he took one breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know, I know he took on breath and put to death death. Where's your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? How great, how great is Christ? victory. I know. I know. Because what? His heart beats. Right now it beats. Right now I'm assured that my Redeemer lives and that I will see him face to face on the earth when he returns as judge of the living and the dead. The resurrected judge will make all things right and then he will make all things new. And I'm proclaiming to you this morning that day may be here at any time. So I'm calling on you to be ready. Church, let's be about the mission of spreading this gospel to the ends of the earth. So that those dark places that remain might know the beautiful name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here and you don't know Him as your Savior, then I'm calling you to repent. More than that... God himself is calling you to repent of your sin and yourself and to know him as your king. This is what the Bible says. John says in 1 John, this is the message we have. What I've just proclaimed to you, that's the message that we have. We've heard from him And proclaim to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness. No darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. I'm calling you, lost man, woman, and child, to come out of the darkness and walk in the light with Christ. The resurrection is all the evidence that you need to know that this is your time to come to him. 
he will find you guilty on that day. And if you don't, the resurrected judge, the one you have mocked and rejected, is the one who will sit on the throne and judge you. Don't let it be that way. Call on him and be saved. Now I'm going to ask I already asked a couple of pastors, if y'all, uh, Corey, Carlton, if you'll just come forward now. I'm going to stand up here in the front. And I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. And we're going to close by singing. And I'm asking for a response from you. They're singing, and you're responding if you're singing along with them. But I'm also going to ask that if you would like to have counsel in coming to Christ for salvation today. Very specific ask, okay? I'm asking if you're lost in here today and you, want, you say, I, I believe this. My light has shone. It, my eyes have been opened. Then these guys and myself will stand right here and we'll receive you and counsel with you today. You can come. And you can start coming even now as I'm speaking to you. While we sing, you can come. But listen, you can come to Christ for salvation. There is nothing forbidding it. There is nothing keeping you. Nothing. So as we sing, I'm going to ask you, give up your pride. Give up your sin. Give up your darkness. Come to the light of the Son of God. Grace Fellowship, let's stand up and let's sing. We're here for you. But more than that, Jesus Christ is here for you. Let's sing. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own. You 
Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Christ, my living hope, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. the promise your very body began to breathe